You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Hi, this is Donna Haleson. Welcome to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. This episode, the 23rd, is the third installment in our occasional series on threats to pets. In earlier episodes, we heard from Illinois-based veterinary toxicologist Sharon Gwaltney-Brandt and San Antonio veterinarian Ray Dishinger about dangers associated with external and internal parasites, infectious diseases, insects, wildlife, plants, and poisons. In this episode, our guest is Bill Converse, founder of Air Restore Incorporated and inventor of the Critter Zone Air Purifier. Bill's invention was recently awarded a first place among new products at the Super Zoo National Show for Pet Retailers held in Las Vegas. In the first half of our program, Bill will help us understand pet allergies and human allergies to pets. In our time together, we'll be addressing a number of questions. What causes allergies? What are some of the airborne irritants that especially give us trouble? What percentage of pets and humans suffer from allergies? Why are some individuals prone to allergies and others not? What are the symptoms of allergies in pets? And how do veterinarians determine what allergens are the problem causers? What happens in the body when an allergen attacks? Do pets suffer from seasonal allergies as humans do? What about viruses? Can dogs and cats catch the flu or the common cold? Can pets become hypersensitive to airborne particles when kept in the house all the time? And what are the allergen concerns, particular to RV travel? In the latter half of the program, Bill will explain how new developments in ionic technology may help to naturalize the air within our homes, vehicles, and other contained spaces, knocking out such irritants as dander and dust, and breaking down odors around litter pans, cages, and aquariums. We'll be attending to all of this and more when we return from these messages. So please, sit, stay. We'll be right back after this pause. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get six dollars off your order of sixty dollars or more, and up to forty percent off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of forty nine dollars or more. Six dollars off, up to forty percent off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. X-Power is a global brand that offers a complete line of stand dryers, cage dryers, and multiple blasters that cater to both home and professional groomers. Designed to be quiet, lightweight, and powerful, X-Power pet dryers will save you time, energy, and money. 
The X-Power B2 Pro at Home Dryer is the perfect gift for family and friends. Please check out our specials at ViperPet.com and Amazon.com. For more information, visit xpower.ws or call 855-855-8868. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. We're back. You're listening to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. With us today is Bill Converse, inventor of the Critter Zone air purifier and president of Critter Zone. Welcome, Bill. Well, thanks for having me today. Well, delighted uh, to be able to have this chance to chat and talk a bit about allergies and what the air purifier that you have uh, invented might be able to do to uh, help with those. I'd like to begin, if we may, with a review of allergies. And uh, I do assume that Critterzone was created to deal with airborne inhalant allergies, grass and pollen, dust, mold, maybe pet dander, that sort of thing. And am I correct in that assumption? Well, inhalant is one of the things that it is able to deal with, but also you absorb the allergens in many other ways. So really what we're trying to do is to take all of the things that uh, both pets and humans are sensitive to and try to either neutralize them or get them out of the air. So it's both inhaling and on your skin. Oh, all right. Okay. Uh, It would be great to be able to hear a bit about statistics on this subject. Are you able to tell us what percentage of dogs, cats, and uh, perhaps other pets and humans as well uh, suffer from allergies? I think the first thing is that there's really almost no difference between how pets suffer from allergens and how humans suffer from allergens. The allergens are different. Uh, The mechanisms are slightly different, but the percentages are just about the same. And partly the reason for that is that just as the human experience is anywhere from 10 to 70% of the people suffer from some sort of an allergic reaction to allergens, that same kind of percentage holds true with all kinds of pets. I know cats always are the ones that seem to get the worst rap, but when you start looking at the statistics, their suffering is no worse or no different really than any other pets or any other humans. Well, why are some individuals prone to these problems and others not, whether they be human or a dog or a cat? I think you have to kind of look at what we really mean when we start talking about an allergic reaction and realize that it is not something that is a discrete thing, but rather kind of a a continuum. It just goes from extreme symptoms down to relatively minor symptoms. And it all really has to do with the same thing, whether we're talking about human response or animal response. Essentially, you've got an immune system, and everybody's immune system is partly determined by what their genetic background was, just as the same as with pets. Your ancestors determine what your actual genetic makeup is going to be like. And that kind of predisposes you for having a strong immune system or a weak immune system. And then your life experiences tend to just gradually increase that strength or decrease that strength. And so by the time we get to be older children or adults or uh, we go from infant pets all the way up to the uh, extremely aged pets, those life experiences start uh, to change how we react to an assault. And that's what it is, an immune system response to uh, whatever protein happens to be in the air. 
Can you share a little bit about what happens in the body when a human or a pet has an allergy? Well, uh, certainly, because what's, what really the immune system is trying to do is when it detects a protein that it's, it doesn't know, it hasn't developed antigens or antibodies for, it starts to ward them off. And that's why you start to see symptoms is either you start to try to sneeze to get it out of there or you cough to get it out of there or your body swells up and raises the temperature at a spot where this protein is trying to enter the body. And depending on what your history is and how strong your immune system is, that's either going to be everything that comes along or practically nothing. As you are exposed to it over and over again, your body develops antigens and, and or antibodies that are there to fight off that particular protein uh, when it senses it again. So the very first time that you may come to a protein, like, uh, well, we'll just continue to blame the cat. So, so it's a little piece of cat dander that you have never been exposed to before. Your body said, I don't know what this is. Let's get rid of it. And so you may have a, a reaction, a temporary reaction. And then the, the longer that you're exposed to it, it will develop some histamines and along with the antigens, and then you'll have the effect. Now, the longer you're exposed to it, the less effect it may have. But that doesn't mean that you're not going to be sensitive to the other kinds of things in the air that are also occurring at the same time because you're never assaulted just by one particular challenge to your immune system. Now, what are some of the symptoms of allergies in humans and in pets? Well, they're all pretty much the same. The, the most common ones are that you see in the eyes, the watering of the eyes. Uh, that's the eyes trying to protect themselves. Uh, as I said before, uh, the runny nose as the mucus tries to flush it out of your system. The same with your pets. Uh, you'll see inflamed spots on your skin, a little redness, a little soreness. And uh, uh, as your body, again, is trying to, to build up this wall of defense. And uh, the, it's it, almost every symptom that you have as a human, if you look closely, your pet is going to experience the same thing. In pets, how do veterinarians determine what the irritant is? Is it done in the same way that you might with humans, with skin tests or, um, or with blood tests? Yes, there's a couple blood tests that are used. One checks for antigens or antibodies. Uh, uh, a RAS test, and then there's another one that kind of looks for the enzymes that are created at the same time. Uh, and those are the two most common tests that I can think of right off. And then, of course, uh, the uh, veterinarians will also use the same kind of test that a dermatologist would use by putting little pinpricks on your skin and injecting right under the surface of the skin a little bit of the thing that they think you might be allergic to. And it's kind of interesting because when you do something like that, you don't try to just do one allergen. You, you take a shot at uh, what you think are the most likely things, and then you give it a little bit of time, and then you look to see exactly what's happened. And if the skin test on an animal, like the same as on a human, if it reacts and turns red, uh, then that's one of the things that you're allergic to. And the worse the response is, the more allergic you are. I do think it's interesting when you think about the test. I've never seen a test where only one thing showed up that you were sensitive to. It's an entire range of things and very nonspecific things that both pets and humans are sensitive to. I was just thinking as we're chatting here about perhaps a rug or a sofa or something a dog or a cat might contact that would produce this allergic reaction in them. Can you speak a little bit about those kinds of allergies as well? 
Uh, certainly, because the allergy that we're talking about is one of any number of proteins. Uh, the Feldy one in the cats, for example, is the one that gets almost all the blame all the time because yeah. it's something we're very, very sensitive to. Most humans are very sensitive to. And they are very long-lasting. And the reason for that particular protein comes not only from the skin of the cat, but because the cat continues to lick its fur and, and groom itself. And every time it does that, that saliva has in it that particular protein. Now, you can imagine that drying on the fur. And then if, if the cat lies on the couch or lies on a, a blanket or, quite frankly, even if it just walks by you, they are shedding enough of this just as the fur moves that it gets into the air. And once it's in the air, it's going to be there for a very, very long time because the amount of protein that it takes is incredibly small. I think people would be surprised to know that that as little as a, a trillionth of a gram of cat dander, a trillionth of a gram of cat dander is enough to cause somebody to start to have a reaction. Not a serious reaction, but they'll start to react to it. And uh, as a doctor friend of mine told me once, that was pretty much like a cat walking by a window and having a little breeze blow by it, and that amount of protein would be in the room and be in there probably for the life of the house. And that little bit, you inhale and you start to sneeze. Absolutely. And the interesting thing is that uh, because it is so light and it doesn't want to settle out of the, of the air very quickly, and as it continues to dry and as you continue to try to move it, actually the bigger pieces continue to get smaller, and so the problem gets to be more and more vested in the house, and it gets more and more difficult to get rid of it. I actually thought about a cat or a dog that maybe lays on the floor or has a pet bed that's just come into the house or there's some whatever that is treated with some chemical that doesn't agree with the dog or the cat and how, you know, as we're going to be talking about a an air purification system, will the critter zone address concerns of that sort as well? Well, it will, and you bring up a very good point because with everything that the animal comes in contact with, uh, if you've got a cat or a dog and it's laying on stuff that you have put even disinfectant on, their bodies come in contact with that disinfectant. That also represents a challenge to the immune system. So the more different kinds of things that you come in contact with, the more sensitive you become to things in general. And that's why you start to see, especially the older pets, become more and more sensitive to things in their environment that they didn't used to be sensitive to. It's just because of the constant exposure that they have to everything. And so a lot of the things that we do to try to solve the problem with sprays and with cleaners and with things that we in and of themselves are not a problem, eventually the sum total of all those things end up making the pets more sensitive than would be if they really just lived outside. I would imagine this would be true of humans as well. Certainly is. Right. And do dogs and cats and other pets suffer from seasonal allergies as would humans? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, a protein is a protein, and uh, they are just like us. They just can't complain as well as uh, we can complain. But can the seasonal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't see a dog or a cat with a handkerchief too much, but, uh, you know, they really are suffering just as much as we are. It's a very real problem. What about viruses? Do dogs and cats catch the flu or colds, the common cold? Absolutely. Viruses, uh, there's a whole series of viruses, not necessarily the same virus that we have because their bodies are slightly different, but they are attacked by viruses all the time, and certainly they're, they are exposed 
to things, to bacterial kinds of infections and those kinds of things. And they, again, pick them up pretty much the same way we do, coming in contact with things that have the bacteria live on their surfaces or they come in contact with the virus spread some other way. Fortunately, most of the pet viruses are not transmittable between human and and, uh, pet. One thing that really intrigued me a couple of years ago when we first got on the road, we had made certain that our our old English sheepdogs, Mac and Molly, had all of the vaccinations that they should have had and they were immunized against kennel cough. And yet when we moved uh, moved about the country, we reached, I think, I don't know whether it's Arizona or Nevada, and they contracted kennel cough. And it was because it was a different strain in that part of the country than would have been found in Pennsylvania, which was our starting off point. So there are just so many things out there that can cause problems for for human beings and for their darling pets. Well, you know, and the easy thing to do is just think about what your response is when your body is moved from one part of the country to another part of the country where there are different molds, people use different chemicals, uh, the climate is different, your body's already under stress for traveling, and it's uh, not a wonder that the animals and all of your pets react in exactly the same way. Their bodies are very similar to ours when it, when it comes to dealing with the immune system challenges. Are there additional concerns, perhaps, that you would want to mention, particular to RV travel, as folks are moving about the country with their pets? Well, you know, certainly in an RV, you've got a lot of other challenges just because there are so many more uh, chemicals that are added to the problem as you drive. All of the road chemicals, all of the chemicals from burning of gasoline, from strange parts of the country where you park and you get uh, outside bacteria in the house, in the RV. The problems are just magnified because you're seeing so many different things. And the worst thing, of course, is that if you don't use your own RV, where at least you have most of the things that are in there are the same kinds of things that your pet is experiencing when you move into a hotel room or a motel room where they have got who knows what all over the floor and and the carpets and the drapes and so forth. Oftentimes, that's a place where if an animal is going to decide to get sick or to pick up something, that's going to be uh, where it's at because that's where their systems are challenged the most. Well, could you share a bit about how pets who are kept indoors, perhaps in their own stationary homes for a long period of time, might develop a hypersensitivity to the environmental substances there? That's something that is, again, is the same as with humans. We, people are discovering now, as they stop and think about it, maybe sometimes we protect the pets too much. That it, and the same as we do with children by never, ever exposing them to enough of the kinds of different challenges when they are young so that their immune systems have a chance to develop normally. And they then become dependent on having a very clean environment, almost a sterile environment, in order not to be suffering from or having an allergic reaction to the environment. Because you you need to have some exposure to all these different kinds of things so that your body has a chance to build up antigens and antibodies so that that you then can ward off a more serious challenge later on. And these things, once they're developed in you, continue to stay in your body and kind of give you a more healthy experience. But now that we've become so used to taking a, a kitten or a puppy, for example, or a bird or any other really pet that we have, we get them when they're extremely young 
and they go into our into an apartment they go into a a home where they get to go out almost never and so their entire environmental exposure is pretty much limited to what is in that particular environment and so they become sensitive to not necessarily what is in the environment that they're used to but what is suddenly brought in so if you have a visitor that comes to your apartment and you've got a kitten or a puppy that's never been exposed to a lot of things that person can bring with them the environmental challenges that they need and all of a sudden you've introduced a problem into your pet's life and that they they just become hypersensitive to everything that might be new that's in their environment is the problem with allergies something that has become more of a serious problem in contemporary times? I think everybody would agree that it has, and again, it has to do with the fact uh, that uh, the number of opportunities we have for immune systems to uh, really develop property has become, properly has become limited. Dogs don't get out and run in the field like they used to. Cats are are pretty much uh, either home cats. The life of a barn cat is really something that they only, probably cats only hear about in history lessons because nobody really ever has seen a barn cat, and yet they were extremely healthy. And so as we continue to be living more and more inside with fewer and fewer opportunities to be outside, I think that the problem has become orders of magnitude greater than it used to be. In this uh, general, sort of a general introduction that we've given to allergens and allergies and antigens and, uh, and the rest, is there something more that we ought to say before we take a break? I think the only thing I would emphasize is when you're wondering about how your pets are being affected by the environment, just take a look at what uh, is happening to your life and your family's life. Because in general, if you've got a family that has sensitivities to the environment, your pet is likely to have those same kinds of sensitivities. Maybe not to the same thing, but to have problems. Great. Well, let's take a break. And when we return, we will be focusing on air purifiers and particularly the Critter Zone air purifier developed by Bill Converse. So please sit, stay. We'll be right back after this pause. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. Dyson. The new Dyson Animal Vacs are powerful bagless upright vacuums for homes with pets. Air muscle and radio root cyclone technology generates the strongest suction power to powerfully remove dust, dirt, and pet hair from the home or car. To order your Dyson Animal Vac, go to DysonDeals.com. DysonDeals.com to order your Dyson Animal Vac today. Dyson. Music to your ears. Music. 
Aquariums and pond keeping are among the most popular of all hobbies in the United States and throughout the world. In fact, fish are probably the most numerous pet in people's homes and in their businesses. In Aquarium Mania, we'll learn more about the secret and not-so-secret life of fish and other inhabitants, the basics of good aquarium keeping, the complexities of the aquarium industry, and the science and art that surround this fascinating hobby. I'm your host, Roy Anong, and I'd like to thank you for joining us. Aquarium Mania. Every week, on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. We're back, and you're listening to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. In this episode, we're focusing on human and pet allergies and air purification devices designed to break down odors and knock out such irritants as dust and dander. Now, I wonder if we might start this segment with a bit of your history, your background, your interest in, and your research into ionic technology. I got involved in uh, really air purification probably about 30 years ago, and I got involved not with pets, but because... uh, my wife had uh, allergies, not like we usually think about them, but she suffered from migraine headaches, which are another form of an allergic reaction. And as uh, time went on and I was working with air purification, I began to realize that when you did clean up the air, uh, her headaches went away. So I had a very personal kind of involvement. And you know, if you've ever seen anybody with migraines, it doesn't take long to really get personally involved in the pain that they're going through. And so that really started me off on a very, very long trek of looking at environmental issues and how they relate to our ability to live in those environments. Now, when did you get into most especially ionic technology? Almost at exactly the same time because the original project that I was working on when I discovered that she was having a real reaction to cleaning up the environment, a positive reaction to cleaning up the environment, I was working on an ionizer, which back then was only one of two forms of air purification. You had filtration and ionization. And Filtration, pretty much everybody knew, didn't work very well, and ionization looked like it had uh, the best possibilities but I discovered a method of trying to ionize the air, which was different than anybody had done before. And the company I was hired to do it with didn't want to pursue it, and and then they didn't pay me, and so then I decided uh, I would go ahead and develop it myself, and it started a long path working with an awful lot of people with an awful lot of kinds of indoor air quality problems. And uh, I've had some wonderful opportunities as a result of that to see just exactly how our indoor environment affects not only ourselves, but our pets and really our whole life. Can you explain a bit about the difference between filtration and ionization technology? How do they work? The fundamental difference is that with a filter, they were, first of all, designed to protect the equipment that, that was moving the air. That's their primary job so that the motors are safe and so forth. And the idea is that if you make a better and better filter, uh, you should be able to take more and more things out of the air. But the problem is you have to move all of the air to where the filter is. And if you ever tried to move air, you'd see that it just does not want to go where you want it to go. And you'll move lots of the air many, many times, and part of the air in a house almost never. 
and trying to get all of the air uh, moved has always been a problem. And so the ionic approach really is a matter of saying, you know, if we can't move the allergen, we can't move the thing that we're trying to remove from the air down to the filter. Let's see if there isn't a way that we can alter it or change it or remove it where it's at. So the biggest single difference is with filtration, you've got big machines, big air movement, lots of noise, and very good effectiveness uh, on the filter, but not very good effectiveness as far as cleaning an occupied space. Ionization, which were the basic products that I invented about, I guess it's close to 30 years ago now, really have taken a number of different forms. And the challenge has always been trying to see if you can think about what's in the air in a little bit different way and utilize different ionization concepts in order to be able to get rid of it. A lot of it has to do with re-energizing the air, recharging the air, kind of duplicating what nature does outside. But uh, that, as you will, if you think about it, is much more of an ionic procedure than it is a filtration procedure. Can you go into a little more depth on ionic technology, though? What, what happens in this? And one of the things that really struck me when, and I thank you for sending me one of these devices, it was the size of it. It's extraordinarily tiny. It's just maybe just a few inches high. And I wonder how that accomplishes what you are saying ionization can accomplish. Okay. First of all, the very first ones I built, I assure you, were not that small. That is a result of modern technology. The very first ones were about the size of a speaker box. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, But mm-hmm. basically, when you clean the air where it's at, you have to look at it in kind of a couple of steps. When you look at the things that you're trying to get out of the air, you have to somehow give them more mass or more size. And so the ionic systems essentially are what people used to call ionizers, but these are a far cry from the original ionizers that used to make walls black and things like that. But what you're doing is reactivating the air, putting energy back into the air by essentially allowing charge to reaccumulate on solid pieces of material like dander. And so if I put a little piece of positive charge out in the air and I can get a piece of dander to charge up, and I can find another piece of anything out in that air, some kind of solid material that's got another charge on it, those two pieces will come together, the charges will neutralize, and the piece gets bigger. Now, if you do that over and over and over again, something that's as small as a trillionth of a gram, like cat dander, can finally get up to the size where it will settle out of the air. Now, it's still in the room. And so then you have to have some other process to get it off of the blanket or to neutralize it. And so the other part of the process is you have to put things in the air just as an outdoor air that alter the form of the protein. We'll just stick with the cat dander. And so now I've got the cat dander out of the air. At least I've got it in a place where the normal cleaning methods and things like that will, since it's not heavy enough to be moved, will allow it to be picked up. Uh, you can wash a blanket that's had a bigger particle on it, and that particle will get washed out because it's, it has enough mass. So that's eliminated a lot of the problem. But then you have to do something about creating some other kinds of oxidizing agents into the air because what you need to do is to start oxidizing and reducing that. And outdoors, that comes naturally from the sunlight. That's where we get all this energy to do that. And there's a ton of chemical reactions that take place outside that tend to to either alter 
the chain, if you know what an organic, think about what an organic molecule looks like, all you have to do is just change one little piece of an organic molecule and it ceases to be what it was and becomes inert. And so that's what the second part is, is that you, once you have the product under control and out of the air, you still got plenty of time to do it. So very slowly what you do is either oxidize it or reduce it by using uh, the chemicals that you can create in the air by essentially re-energizing the moisture in the air so that you can create those things or whatever else happens to be in the air. Now, what do you see, smell, hear, feel, and taste as the air purifier is operating? It's going to depend a little bit on what is in the air because what uh, you're not going to really smell, feel, or taste much of anything from the purifier itself. What you're going to notice is that you walk into a room where one of these things has been running for a period of time. Ionization is a slow process. You need to run it 24 hours, 7 days a week. It's not something that does quick. So if you put it in a room, for example, where a pet might be, and then you walk back in, it's what you don't smell and don't experience uh, more than what you do experience. The things that are being produced, if there's anything, there might be a little sweet smell to it. But for the most part, it's just going to smell clean. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. It's more of a sensation than anything. You might feel a little tingle in your nose, but basically you don't see it. The odors go away. And it doesn't operate quick enough that it takes all odors away all the time, but it gets rid of the old odors, and uh, so you're always walking into a clean room. If you have a place, for example, where you've got a litter box, and uh, when the cat uses the litter box for a while in there, you're going to smell what the cat did. But when you walk in maybe 15, 20 minutes later, it's just not going to smell. You're not going to smell anything at all. Well, I have kind of a cluster of questions that I'd ask you to address, and and so I want to present them as a cluster. So there's going to be a whole number of questions here, and perhaps you can just kind of pick at them as, as you can. I wonder, first of all, what proof exists that the product does what it claims to do. I had noted online that looking back at the history of the ionic breeze that used to be sold at the Sharper Image and... There were concerns at the time that the machines could be dangerous because of the uh, trace amounts of ozone that they pump into the air. You know, I've read that uh, regular exposure to ozone can cause lung problems, so that you may have coughing and shortness of breath and chest pain, irritated throat, and that regular exposure to ozone can also worsen conditions like asthma and allergies. So I'm wondering, does the unit produce ozone? You know, so how safe is Critterzone? Okay, there's a whole series of chemical reactions that take place, mostly inside there, inside the machine. And what we're really doing is taking the water vapor and kind of pulling it apart and getting it so that we can make hydroxyls and hyperoxides and free hydrogen. And depending on what's in the air, there's also going to be a small amount of ozone. But the amount of ozone compared to my original products years and years ago to what people usually think of in terms of ozone generators like ionic breeze, because we are doing it entirely differently, the amount of ozone that is there is probably 3 4 5% of what used to be at its peak. So the reality is, as a room cleans up and there is less and less things to be decomposed, the less and less things like oxygen, the less oxidizing agents are actually created. So that if you put this in in, um, any kind of a reasonable size room or chamber, you would never be able to measure any ozone at all 
the amount that's coming in through the sunlight would probably be more than that. But technically, there is a little bit there. But there's also all these other chemicals, but they are all exactly in the same proportion that exists outside from time to time, and there isn't any really long-lasting product that exists because it is basically, as you've used the product, the SKS product turns back to water vapor. Now, has it gone through any independent testing? And the whole ionization process, it sounds as though it's advanced considerably since the ionic breeze and perhaps other products were on the market. So maybe you could just uh, speak to that as well. The units are undergoing uh, right now all the certifications to show that uh, from ozone production and so forth that they're entirely safe. We have done ourselves the testing for killing uh, bacterias and chemical challenges and so forth, but we have not really had third-party testing do it. As far as whether or not a product is effective or not in doing the job, what we do is do that. We recognize the fact that we don't know what's in the environment. We don't know what people are going to be sensitive to. We don't know what pets are going to be sensitive to. So what we do is we offer an absolute money-back guarantee. If it doesn't work, send it back. And we have found over the years that I've worked with air purification equipment, this is really the only way that you can have satisfied customers because there are going to be some places where it will not work and nobody will ever know why. It's just going to be a particular set of challenges and a particular set of of, uh, conditions. But if people can try it and see that it works for them, we end up with really the best of all worlds. And that's really what you can ask. That's all that you can ask. I'm so grateful for your very direct and honest answers to all of those questions. And uh, perhaps folks listening to this will have some of their concerns uh, assuaged as, uh, as they were listening to you through that entire segment there. I wonder if there's anything else that you'd want to be certain to address, to add, before we close out our time together. I would really encourage people to take a look at this. We've referred to this as basically an air purifier, which is probably incorrect. What we have done is we have a new technique. This is something that's going to take off and become the new standard for how air is cleaned, and it's really a matter of reactivating or re-energizing the air to let it clean itself. And there's no way to explain it. The only thing we can do is let people try it and see what it does. I will tell you that we could not possibly do that if we did not know that it was going to work in the vast majority of opportunities. I would just uh, like to encourage people to take a look at this and give it a try and see what it will do for them. What intrigued me, too, on the box is that uh, it speaks of being used to restore air near litter pans and kennels and pet beds and cages and aquariums. And that, the last, we really haven't talked about fish and how this might uh, even improve the environment of the fish. It doesn't help the fish so much, but it sure helps the place where the fish uh, fish are kept. I've had (laughs) saltwater aquariums and I've had freshwater aquariums, and I don't care whether it's myself that takes care of them or I hire it done. Eventually, they smell like aquariums, and that the slime uh, that finally gets off and is trapped in the water in the aquarium finally starts to create a very nasty odor, and it seems like you cannot get it cleaned up. And we've even had little units like this used in fish markets where the odor has really bothered the customer. And so we're able to get rid of the, of the, uh, the fish smell with it. 
I actually was kidding about the last. I assumed you meant <laughs> it would actually it would take care of the uh, the odor that you do that you get from these aquariums. I was uh, visiting an RV park in one part of the country where there was a dog who had a problem with flatulence. We'll say. <laughs> and, they, and the folks there uh, were so desperate to try to find a, uh, they wanted to have the dog in the office with them, but they wanted to find a, uh, a solution to the problem that they had with their little boxer. So, <laughs> so perhaps they'll be listening today and they can give this product a, a shot. You know, when we talk, I've, I've covered a lot of science today in this uh, discussion, but what really comes right down to it, it's the personal relationships we have with our pets. And, uh, you know, when you have an old pet and you don't really want to put them down and they, they don't smell good anymore, and especially if, if you're a guy that's got an old hunting dog or something like that, uh, you hate for them to have to be outside all the time. And uh, for an awful lot of people, this has meant a big, big difference where they can now have a pet and have peace in the house at the same time. And uh, for myself, uh, not only my wife, but my, my daughter was allergic, well, my kids were allergic to pets. And so we had to have things like iguanas and things like that. And there's nothing wrong with an iguana, but it's not a puppy. And, um, you can't cuddle or, with an iguana. No, it's very, very hard to do that. <laughs> so we, we really feel that, uh, that by being able to allow people to have pets without having some of the adverse effects of pets, we're going to change a lot of things. I know we're working with some health department and some uh, rescue people trying to help them uh, expand the number of customers and number of homes that they can put their pets into. And all these things kind of add up to the same kind of thing. So this is a new business for us. It's an old business for me, but it's pretty exciting to be involved where we're starting to make a difference with pets. I understand that you donated uh, some of the Critizone products to a canine unit. Could you just share a bit about that? We did. Uh, you know, you, you think about it, down in Florida, uh, we gave all the canine units a unit for their car. And one of the units that we have, actually, you can use it either in your car or take it into your house. It's got a little plug with it, extra plug with it. And uh, so these guys that live with their dogs all day, you can imagine where those poor dogs end up going when they're chasing somebody mm -hmm. and they get uh, spray on them and then they're getting back in the car and they're living in the car with the officer. That is a pretty smelly environment and yet you can't do much because you don't want to destroy the pet's sense of smell. And so uh, we gave them a try and um, every single one, not only did they love them, but their families loved them because now they brought the dog inside with the uh, air naturalizer in there and uh, uh, it didn't stink up the house. They absolutely loved it. Now, what does the unit cost, and where will folks be able to find these? Unit retails for eighty nine ninety five, and it's available online at www.critterzoneusa.com. And um, we are establishing some distributors around so they can start to look for it, but they can certainly uh, get online and get it. And I understand you're also offering a discount for on-the-road listeners. Yes, yes, we are. You know, this is a new technology, and we want to get as many people to try it as we can. And so we've established a uh, coupon code on there. So if any of the listeners want to get on, and when they're asked for their coupon number, just give them on the road, and they'll get $10 off on the unit. Thank you so much for that. Anything else you'd like to add before we close out? No, I just appreciate it and uh, have a great opportunity to help spread the message. 
Well, wonderful. We're so grateful, Bill, for having you with us today. And just hope that folks will uh, perhaps give Critter Zone a chance and see whether it can make a difference with the uh, the allergies and uh, that folks have. And uh, if any of our listeners should have any questions or any comments about today's show, I would invite you to email me at the address that you'll find in my On the Road blog on Pet Life Radio. And as always, I hope you'll join us next time as we head out. On the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.